flip side, folks. Galen Clavio here, along with Brian Moritz. And um, Brian, it's uh, it's it's been convention week, uh, political mm-hmm. political talk, everything going on, some crazy things happening. Uh, I feel like. Uh, part of me wants to jump in in that fray, and part of me wants to give people an oasis from it. But then when I think about it, I feel like people aren't even watching the conventions in the first place. So I'd almost rather – I wish we could do a whole episode where we're just Mystery Science Theater 3000-ing the entire convention, both of them. I feel like we should have done that last week at the Republicans. We could have had probably a lot more fun with that. Yeah. Uh, We we – it's funny because a friend of mine – next weekend is the AEJMC conference. Oh, hey – Hey, Winston. Nelson. 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 <laughs> um, uh, you, those of you obviously can't see this, Galen's new puppy, Nelson, is um, joining us on, on, today, on today's episode of The Flip Side. This is, um, this is my wife's idea. Um, <laughs> oh, it's good. He's adding a lot to the conversation. He's helping. He's helping. A lot of He's adding teeth to the conversation <laughs> at this point. Um, but actually, a friend of mine, the, uh, our, the AEJMC conference is next weekend in yes. Minneapolis, and a friend of mine. And I were planning on we were debating the idea of whether we should Mystery Science Theater three thousand the opening ceremonies to the Olympics because that's going to be an equal show. Um, I thought you were going to suggest MST three King the keynote at AJMC. No, because like you said in the the, (laughs) your tenure, I'm true. That's a good point. (laughs) Oh, it's been my lifelong dream to to. do that but no anyway yeah uh, you know it's it's been a fascinating week and and uh the last week that what's gone on so far at the beginning of this week it's really it, some it, interesting stuff it, it is that weird mix of i don't i want to follow it because it's interesting and obviously it's an important story and it's interesting on a lot of levels but then it's other times i'm like i can't i can't deal with these these people anymore on both sides let's um, let's, let's talk about that but before we do that let's hit our beer selections yes, for the yes, day yes. what do you what do you got going i have the uh, Honey Spot Road IPA from Two Roads Brewing, and this is another uh, vacation pickup from last week when we were down in Delaware. Um, although it's ba- bottled in Stratford, Connecticut, so apparently it's not a Delaware beer. Um, but it is a unfiltered IPA with wheat, and it's kind of got a fruity taste to it, kind of like a light citrusy taste. It's a nice. I, I was a little concerned with the unfiltered IPA wheat combination as being kind of a little much, but the 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 fruit flavor, the citrus, kind of takes a lot of the 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 mm, out of it. So it's it's a quality selection. I'm impressed with it so far. So I have something completely off the map. Uh, right. This is this was not totally off the map, but this is from Stone Brewing Company in in yep. Escondido. This is the uh, the Wussy Pilsner. Uh, <laughs> So you know, Stone. If you follow their stuff, they they their packaging uh, tends to have kind of an attitude to it. And mm-hmm. so yeah, this is their Pilsner, and it's actually it's a really good Pilsner. It's it's uh, it's got some flavor. It's got some bite to it on the back end. Uh, it's got some ABV. It's only five point eight, which you know for a Pilsner. But it comes in a right. it, it came in a six pack of sixteen ounce Tall Boys and. It was reasonably priced, and we had it here in Bloomington. And uh, I've actually, I've, I've, I'll, I'm going to pick up another case. It was, it was a, a bit of a shock to the system, but I could drink this on a regular basis. Excellent. Yeah. What's the what's the AVB on this one? Let me see if I can find it real quick. I had to look mine up. 
compelling podcasting. Well, oh, what's, your, what's it's a six. six. Okay, well, yeah. uh, so Brian's actually got me beat today, which yes. uh, congratulations, sir. It's r- it rare that I, that that actually happens. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we 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 have a couple topics that we got on Facebook from uh, listeners of the show. Um, we'll we'll hit, hit on those. Um, I have a somewhat a quote that we can kind of riff on, but we were talking before we went on here about kind of you know seeing how far we go in the, in, in politics. But everything that's happened with the with the con- Republican convention last week, with the Democratic convention um, last week or this week, that's going on right now. It started today, um, and just you know all, all the show that was last week. Um, yeah. I noticed today you were show you were posting several stories on the kind of Putin-Trump connection that's going on with this uh, right. DNC hacked emails. Uh, so a lot, of pl- a lot of ways we can go. The Bernie delegation, mad, but apparently not as mad as people think they are going on right now. Uh, Nate Silver has, like, new polls out. A whole lot of stuff, we can, a whole lot of angles I think we can take. So why don't you dive right in and where do you, uh, where would you like to start in this uh, cavalcade of... Gosh, I mean, you know, look, this is... <laughs> I have to say this. I've never, ever been satisfied with either party's conventions. I mean, I know that they're supposed to showcase, like, the best of the parties, the things that are going to get the base most fired up, at least I think. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the goal. But I, I, I've never felt that either party does a particularly great job. Like, the, the Republican uh, convention is always, like, too harsh and metallic, and the Democrat con- Democratic convention is always too squishy. Right. Uh, you know, and, and and we're kind of seeing that even on this first night of the uh, of the Democratic National Convention, it's it's been a very squishy presentation so far. Now, you know, the the Republicans last week, there was there's a method to all of this, and I think the thing that I'm most interested in, I don't really, I'm not a member of either party, um, but I I find it interesting the way that each party's trying to present itself and the way that the the media is trying to analyze how they're trying to present themselves. And, you know, I, I kept seeing commentators looking for signs of moderation on the part of the Republicans uh, during their, during the whole, uh, you know, duration of the, of the, pri- of the, uh, the convention. And, and it wasn't there. And everybody's like, well, you know, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do this. And it's like, this is such an upside down election cycle this year right. that, I, I I almost feel like the the critics and the pundits haven't recalibrated their expectations to the the cycle that we're actually in, and mm-hmm. it's actually kind of jarring that the Democrats are basically doing what they do in every convention, which is right. they're trotting the same groups of people out. You know, they're they're picking like individual things that they feel like they can score social points on, and you know they're they're making a big point of that, and then they move to the next big point, and they do that, and it's like. It almost is emblematic of the problem I'm seeing right now with the way the Democrats are handling the the presidential uh, election as a whole. It's like they're the ones that are acting like this is a normal presidential election cycle, mm-hmm. and I'm starting to get concerned that they don't quite grasp the the reality well, of the situation. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I think running a candidate, running a campaign against Trump has got to be a maddening thing. You know, whether you're, no matter how kind of orthodox or unorthodox your thinking is, because, I mean, you know, I was thinking about this earlier. There, there's kind of two things media coverage, you know, when we talk about is the media to blame for Trump and all that, and we've talked about that in the past. I think what's interesting is media has kind of done two things with Trump. 
One, it's the, and, and this is in the long New Yorker piece that was published today of media and self-analyzing media, which was interesting and ponderous at the same time. But it was, um, you, so you had, uh, the, the, the gaff obsessed. So it was especially early on the what's Trump going to say that's going to completely, well, this is the thing that does him in. Well, this is the thing that does him in. And he's been immune to that. Like you very famously said, uh, I could shoot, t- I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, and my supporters would still vote for me, which is probably the single most honest statement in this in this entire election cycle. But the other thing that I feel like the media has been doing that media is doing that's interesting is a real focus, especially on Trump's speech, on fact checking, and you see this a lot on like basically he hasn't told a single thing that's true, or he's told more false statements than anybody else, and yet the 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 the, the 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 polls and the voters for him don't seem to care about it or they don't you know it's it's either they don't care because they're republican establishment and don't want hillary clinton to win or they just don't care like they just they 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 like the guy they don't they they just don't care and it's got to be to kind of circle back to 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 like the clinton campaign like it's got to be maddening like how do you run against a guy who's basically the saying the equivalent of farts over and over and over again to anything you say and it doesn't matter he just keeps saying the same thing and getting cheers about it i my my gut feeling and i'm a registered democrat um i vote full disclosure voted for bernie primary support hillary whatever whatever i think what they're trying to do is um basically be the party of the grown-ups in this election, I think they're, they're, they're you know, they're, they're maybe acting orthodox, but I think they're, I, I would guess, and I, I, I'm pulling this out of my butt, but I feel like their, their strategy is the, the Republicans were such a calamity last week that we're going to be the grown, we're going to be the adults, and we're going to try to take this seriously. I actually do think that this, you know, there the, the, the polls come out that show Trump getting the bounce and, you know, he's winning, it's tied, it's close, Nate Silver. Uh, one of his ridiculous things has Trump winning, um, which I want to talk about for in, in a little bit. But I actually think this week's going to be very good for the Democrats. I have a strange feeling about this, and it might just be optimism on my part. They're, because well, they're off to a great start this they're week. Off to a, they're off to a commanding <laughs> right? Well, A, it can't get totally worse. Um, <laughs> you say that now. <laughs> right, right. Um, I mean, tomorrow is it tomorrow? I think tomorrow President Obama speaks. And, you know, and when you get Obama on a primetime campaign speech, he's pretty good. And he's pretty popular right now. Um, I think that helps him. And I think what will help is actually Hillary's speech coming on Thursday when she accepts. Because and, and and again, this is just gut feeling and maybe wishful thing on my part. But Hillary's been basically quiet since she wrapped up the nomination. What six weeks ago? You had right. the FBI thing, the email scandal come out. You had the Republicans, and so it's been all this like anti-Hillary, anti-Hillary stuff, the old stuff, the new stuff. Everyone's idea. I have a feeling when she gets up there, and you know, provided she doesn't give a complete dud of a speech, and I don't see her doing that, I have a feeling there'd be a whole lot of oh wait, that's Hillary Clinton. Oh, she's not terrible. You know, there will be, be, be people who still think, who still hate her no matter what. I get that. But I feel like, like, like that's the opportunity to be like, oh, wait, she's not the, she's not a monster. So I think that's what they're going for. You know, it's kind of like the kind of playing it just safe enough that they don't completely screw it up. But you raise the interesting point of, is that going to work in basically a postmodern election? Yeah. And I guess my, what I would be concerned about if I was a, a Democrat, if I was a Hillary backer at this point, 
is I feel like you so you just mentioned she's been basically quiet the last six weeks or however long it's been. And I think that's actually hurt her significantly. And I think it's going to continue to hurt her because, look, you're right that Trump Trump's public utterances have been crazy and and many of them have been untrue or have have been half truths or have been out of context. Um, But we continue to see Trump pretty much every day. We continue to hear from Trump and there are certain elements of what Trump says that are breaking through that people can latch on to and say, okay, um, maybe I agree with that to the point that I might at least give this some, some consideration. Uh, then, then you have the issue also like people's attitudes towards Trump, I feel like have almost crystallized at this point in that people who hate Trump are just going to completely disregard him. And, and the people that like Trump are, are going to be interested in him. And then there's a large group of people. And I think a much larger group of people, frankly, than, than a lot of, of Democrats, uh, are, are giving credit for who, aren't necessarily swayed by the idea that Trump is a liar or that Trump is a buffoon because right. we've had 30 years of people talking about politicians you know as a whole as being liars and buffoons and it's like right. you can say oh this guy is a like the biggest liar and the biggest buffoon and he, and he probably is but but to to the voter the un the like the the undecided voter the voter that hasn't hasn't made a decision that Trump is just like worse than cancer and needs to be avoided at all costs. Um, I don't think that all, you know, that the, the constant waterfall of people talking about what a terrible guy Trump is, is ever going to really break through, uh, to those Mm -hmm. people because they're going to be like, I'm not really interested in the personalities involved in this. I'm interested in the policies. And, and, and and if it hasn't broken through now, I mean, and, and, and I guess the thing is with, with Hillary, like, you know, Mark Cuban had that interesting series of tweets. I don't know if you saw yep, it from like you know, about a week ago, um, where he was kind of taking her her campaign to task for doing a terrible job of marketing her, particularly in the social media age. And I really think he had a point. Mm-hmm. I, you know, in that she doesn't have a profile among young people. She, you know, right. her profile, frankly, among baby boomers is like maybe forty sixty favorable. Like maybe, like she, like maybe, people, did, yeah. people did not have a great impression of her when she left the the White House as first lady and yeah you know she was a senator in New York she was secretary of state um i nobody really paid attention to her time in the senate outside of New York and and outside of of, of political wonks and, and we didn't listen that much either so right and 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 frankly the you know the secretary of state period of time i mean taking trump's demagoguery aside you there are there are some legitimate concerns about the way that the State Department handled things during that time period. I, I think, mm-hmm. at least, you know. And so, so I look at all that and I say, this is a this is a, a candidate who needs to be out front, needs to be talking on a regular basis, needs to be in front of the people to kind of demystify herself right. to those people who needs to seem more like more of a human being who needs to to allow people to relate to her in some way and not just democrats who uh, when we're already going to vote for her regardless but but frankly to independents and to some degree even to republicans because i i really do believe that 
Trump's support among Republicans is very, very, it's very, very wobbly. Yes. There's a lot of Republicans who do not want to vote for Trump, but they will not vote for Hillary because their impression of Hillary has been so negative for so long. And unless she takes some air out of that balloon, and I think there's some real problems for her and her campaign. And that's why I'm not as optimistic about this, this, um, this convention, because all of the major players, all the people that we're being told to look out to, to watch for, whether it's Michelle Obama or Barack Obama or Bernie Sanders, it's like none of these people are Hillary. And in fact, all of them, to some degree, are they're they're like people who are um, significantly different from Hillary in the eyes of the public. Yes. Yeah. And, and and so that's that's where I would be concerned about the kind of the it's not of a dichotomy per se, but like the difference that's being set up there. I don't know if this convention is going to give the kind of platform that she needs to really put herself out there in front of people. And I don't know how, I mean, she's going to really have to capitalize on the last, you know, three months or so before the election uh, to, to make up that sort of of a kind of lack of cult of personality background for lack of a better term. Right. Yeah. She's not the natural politician. Like she is, I've read a lot of stories about her where she admits that, you know, she's not like her husband or even, Right. President Obama, who's like very natural and very good at that. Um, I mean, it's going to be I mean, it's it, it's it, it's one of those things that's be fascinating and really interesting if it weren't so potentially dangerous. And there was not just in terms of, you know, Trump winning and our feelings on that, but like the atmosphere surrounding this this campaign. And, you know, like, you know, I have a real like Hillary Clinton supporter here. No shock to anybody listening to this podcast. I don't know. Like, like part of me wants to be an active campaigner for that. You know, I, I get really annoyed when I see everyone, pan- you know, it's a lot of journalists and people, but a lot of people, you know, now I'm starting to panic about Donald Trump. Now I'm starting to panic that he could win it. And I always want to tweet out if anybody, if everybody who said they were who tweeted out or said on Facebook that they were starting to panic actually did something then the camp that would probably help the campaign to not let Donald Trump become president. But I also know that his supporters are so their their attitude can be so I don't like I'm not gonna put a Hillary Clinton sign in front of my house. I don't know what could happen to my house because of that. And I and I feel like that's a very much difference from past campaigns. And um I don't know. It, 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 it's it's a weird it's a weird place it's a weird place to be in and it just you know the 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 trump putin story that's been going around today it's interesting yeah let's talk about that because yeah because like part of me feels like um you know the sources reporting this that that i have seen um seem credible and legitimate like this is not this is not um did nelson leave you nelson leave you a present i don't know (laughs) (laughs) um so, so the sources seem credible. This is not Brian's left-wing medium post about this. This seems like credible reporting going on about uh, the ties between the, the leak of the DNC emails uh, that, that do not make Hil- the DNC and, by extension, Hillary look good and the connection to Russia and the Russian government, potentially Putin and Putin, Putin and his administration's t- business ties to Trump. Um, so I, I, as credible reporting, on the other hand, I kept reading that and thinking, God, have I become the, the left wing version of the guy who believes every Hillary Benghazi story, out <laughs> you know? Um, and, and it just, it, it strikes me as, and I was thinking about this earlier too, cause there's that weird juxtaposition of, you know, I don't think 
Trump is necessarily, I don't think the reporting has indicated that he and Putin are like in cahoots together. It sounds more like Putin trying to support Trump, you know, probably with tacit support, but not like like they're, they're having conference calls together. But we talked about this last week, like it's that weird juxtaposition of, you know, Trump as awful nationalist, you know, I don't want to say fascist because he's, you know, very much uh, a, a white nationalist versus Trump, the con man, just kind of playing to the easy marks in a, in a in a weak year when he can possibly win the presidency, especially, you know, given the and there's the New York Times story about how he picked uh, your former your governor, governor, <laughs> former, Mike Pence, for uh, yes. Yes. to be running me. And he had he had approached uh, his campaign had approached John Kasich about it. And, you know, the, the campaign told Kasich that he would be in charge of foreign and domestic policy. And Kasich, you know, as a smart man, said, well, what would the president be in charge of? And the answer was making America great again. So it's like that weird thing. Like, is he is he an evil demagogue? Is he an evil nationalist? Is he just a con man playing with people? And the story, it's fascinating. And it doesn't really I don't have any answers on it. So now what was your what's your What's you my take on that? that? What's your hot take? I just hot. here's the thing, uh, and and maybe the, maybe first of all on the on the the smaller issue of the Russia thing. Um, I mean, on the one hand, I think it's entirely plausible that that Trump, uh, from a business perspective, would look at this and and be willing to go that route because right. he he doesn't care. I mean, he doesn't. Um, no. Uh, and and look, it, to me, it's kind of funny because I feel like if if it's the case, if first of all, if it's the case, it isn't funny. But it would be it would be ironic that we've had like eight to ten years of of you know, particularly people on the on the Democratic side of things, de- like demystifying Russia and acting like Russia isn't a threat. Uh, right. Suddenly, having them hacking into the DNC's emails and having like them using Trump to like secure uh, a free hand in Ukraine and and in the Middle East, like stuff like that, it would be it would be right. ironic in the extreme if that was actually what was going on. I don't, I tend to not think that that's what's going on. And I think what you pointed out is it's it, it's kind of illustrative of the problem that I see with a lot of the coverage of Trump. It, the the coverage is either just kind of mouth agape watching right. him do his thing or it's this guy is Hitler or Mussolini, you know, personified. He's leading this fascist movement that's going to like destroy America. Like it's the 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 coverage that we're starting to really see pop up is so it feels so over the top. And, and right. I feel like it's almost hurting the 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 legitimate complaints that exist about um, Trump and you know I look I tend to think that Trump is he's a buffoon he's he's not really serious about this stuff he just goes up and says whatever he thinks is going to get him press I right. don't necessarily I you know I mean Hitler wrote Mein Kampf you know right. M- Mussolini had this entire like socio political conceptualization of what the Italian state was supposed to be like right. tr- Trump was 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 probably just like playing with Legos in his office like you know a year and a right. half ago before he decided to go with the I mean I I don't see the the you know the the deep 
political science backing of some sinister movement that's being put together by Trump in a way to like to like kind of fundamentally change American society. The fact that he's winning, uh, according to some polls. Um, mm-hmm. is an indicator to me of the apathy of the electorate to a large degree and okay. and to the ability of of effectively utilized media and effectively utilized sound bites to galvanize certain people at this particular point in an election to say that they will vote for a particular candidate as opposed to one who has you know 25 years worth of more negative than positive press Mm-hmm. That's all I really see it as being. Now, I could easily be wrong about all of that, but I, I'm not scared of any of what we're seeing here. I mean, people are like, well, this is uncovering all of these you know, serious racial divisions in the country. They, they, look, I'm, I'm sorry. If you didn't think that those divisions weren't there already and active on a regular basis, you, right. you, you, you weren't very much in touch with society. You may not, right. have, you may not have been hearing about it every day in the media, but right. I liken that to some of the arguments that we hear about how ironically some of the arguments that the trump people have been talking about which is you know this is the most violent period that we've had in in american society and and in fact it's actually the safest from a violent crime perspective but the reason we think that it's so violent is because we hear about these incidents of violence every day and they're propagated by the spread of social media uh, you know and 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 the the spreading of of what we used to be local news on a regional and national level and i feel like Mm -hmm. to some degree the things that are being uncovered by the 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 people that are the, the that are very fervent supporters of Trump, um, those people were already around. Nothing new is being drummed up. It's just kind of like we kicked a rock over and we saw all of the grubs that were crawling right. underneath. Right. I mean that, that's you know one of the the a, a lot of the good coverage I've read on Trump. A lot of like Charlie Pierce's coverage in Esquire on the Trump campaign is basically. This is what, you know, what Trump is saying is not out of step with what the what the Republican Party has been saying for a while now. He's just not using coded language about it. He's just not kind of tap dancing around it. He's just kind of outright saying all these things that everyone else said. And I always find it funny, like last week, obviously, one of the big wow moments was the Ted Cruz speech where he kind of gave the middle finger to, to Trump and wouldn't endorse him and got booed off. And... You know, it, it, it's funny when I always what, what I always think about, it, especially through, as the primary went on, and it was kind of like Cruz was the main guy who could stop Trump. And I saw a lot of people on my feed kind of almost cheering for Cruz, and that made me very scared, more scared because I like Trump's a hustler. Trump's just kind of like saying this stuff because he knows he'll get elected. I don't think Trump is, re- you know, I don't think Trump is it, like kind of like you said. There's no ideology behind that. He's just saying what he need, what he wants to say to win. Whereas Cruz is scary because he believes that stuff. <laughs> Cruz is Cruz is is you know one of a long line of uh, you know people who are extreme opportunists but work within the political structure to try and create. Right. that. I mean Pat Buchanan was a great example of this yes. type of person. I mean you know we we've seen those types of individuals pop up in the past, and I just don't I just don't I look at Trump. And look, Trump says some things that I find highly distasteful. I don't take Trump seriously. I, can, I can't tell you who I'll be voting for in in November. I certainly won't be voting for Trump, though. There's no way. But but I guess my my point in all of this is Trump. I I just look at as not serious. Like I, it's I cannot I cannot mentally take him or intellectually take him seriously. And so when I read all of these, like just heart 
rending uh, pieces by by you know mostly mostly liberal political commentators talking about how you know America is ruined because of all of this going on. I'm just like you 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 guys are going way overboard with this right yeah. now. Like you're you're giving this way too much credit. And if mm-hmm. you're upset about what you're seeing in the supporter groups, it was there before. That's right. that's the thing that I keep coming back to. It's like it's, it, this this is I have read a few intelligent pieces that have said Trump is is a symptom. He's not the cause of this. And yet right. most of the things that I'm reading, I feel like the, the, the attitude is like Trump is, is, you know, uncovering all of these deep divisions in American society. And I just, I, to me, that's just such a backwards way of thinking about this stuff. And it actually does more harm than good. Yeah. There was a, there was an op-ed in the times this, this Sunday. Uh, I think it was Chris, Nicholas Kristoff. The bit, the headline was, is Donald Trump racist? And he went through all this thing and concluded that, yes, he is a racist, which, thanks, could have figured that out a month, a, a year ago when he called Mexicans racist. This, this is why we need the paper of record. You know? <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. they, they need to hear, be here to tell us these but things. Like, but, like, is Donald Trump racist? Probably. I'd say yes, given his public statements. But I think the, the bigger question that, that, like you said, he's unveiling is, America is still pretty deeply racist. Like, I think there are people who genuinely like, who are generally supportive of what he's saying and generally like that he's saying things. And we don't want to acknowledge it or tap into it or, um, you know, really voice that, give voice to that. But I think that that's, you know, I think that that's there. And this, this discussion we're having kind of leads into, uh, one of the topics I wanted to bring up today. So we can kind of segue into that really yeah. quick. Uh, it's a uh, Ray Kurzweil. Uh, yes. Kurzweil, um, future, a uh, very w- famous futurist, um, best known in my life. He was, uh, he had a b- bunch of spoken word tracks on Our Lady Pieces 2000 album, Spiritual Machines. Um, <laughs> underrated album. It's very good. Um, I'll but he gave that an, one out. He gave an, I'll put it the link in show notes. Um, Thank you. But he gave, uh, an interview with GeekWire. And I thought this was an interesting quote and it, and it, and it touches on some of the things you were just saying about Trump and about society. And he was asked about the, so it's on the effect of the modern information era. And this is Kurzweil speaking. People think the world's getting worse and we see that on the left and the right and we see that in other countries. People think the world is getting worse. Dot, dot, dot. That's the perception. What's actually happening is our information about what's wrong in the world is getting better. A century ago, there would be a battle that wiped out the next village. You'd never even hear about it. Now there's an incident halfway around the globe and we not only hear about it, we experience it. And I think that that I mean the, the first thing I thought of with that with, with that quote when I read that was uh, Black Lives Matter and all the protests going on about police violence right. and you know it's this is not new now all of a sudden they're it's just getting filmed and broadcast and you know shown in real time so this is not there's not an upswing in police killing young black men now we're just seeing it all as it happens and it, it does lend an urgency to the problem but I thought that was a really interesting way of kind of looking at technology and 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 the world and our reaction to it that it's not that the that the world's not worse we just know more about what's happening about it yeah and that's i've been arguing that but but here's the thing we we know half of it and here's here's my the one thing i disagree with kurzweil on with that i because i agree our exposure to the negative things that occur is greater Mm -hmm. but our exposure to the the mundane realities of life 
the the positive or neutral things that happen on a daily basis mm-hmm. is almost non-existent, mm-hmm. and so there's no balance involved. Right. Uh, you know what we you know it's funny like there was there was this argument that they were making about uh, illegal immigrants, and you know Paul Begala was on CNN and was arguing that you know you've got one one example of you know an, an illegal immigrant killing somebody and it, and there's no there's no corresponding to the you know the thousands or or millions of of illegal immigrants that haven't killed anybody right. and are and are leading normal productive lives well that's it's the kind of dichotomy that we deal with though when it comes to media exposure and our understanding or our th- our our supposed understanding of the society that we're living in mm-hmm. you know people pe- you know the the Republican National Convention featured a lot of comments from a lot of people talking about the dangers that people faced, and and the Republicans got a lot of criticism for that. Uh, Barack Obama even came out and said that you know the numbers don't don't correspond with what you're talking about. Right. And and you know and I heard all this you know well where's the where's the messages of hope. With you know within the Republican uh, convention, well, I've watched the first night of the Democratic convention, and it's been you know a big section on um, drug abuse, and then a big section on the threats to families from illegal deportation, and then another bit you know threats to people with disabilities, and threats to pe- it's all about threats, and this is like wh- whichever side of the political divide you happen to find yourself on, what we see. Is, is, a, is a simple psychological reality of humans, which is that we respond much better, when I say better, we respond more directly to negative stimuli, threatening stimuli, than we do to stimuli that, that don't require any change in state. Right. And, and, and this is not... That's, that's, a not basic, that's a basic journalism news value. Like, right. conflict, you know, the, the line I always use with that is, plain, you know, news isn't too negative. Well... News is negative. Plane lands safely after routine flight is never a headline you'd never read in an uh, uh, online or in a paper. Plane crashes, mil- hundreds die. Yeah, that's but, yeah, and and that's the case. But the problem is you can't know that. And and I guess this is where I get irritated with with politicians, particularly both politicians and journalists. You you can't mm-hmm. on the one hand know what you just said, which is that negative stories are news because they're abnormal and because they present a a, a threatening stimuli to an individual and then turn around and ask, why does everybody have such negative opinions about things? And wh- mm-hmm. why are people, why do people feel like they're, they're in danger? Well, it's because if that's what they hear about constantly, that's what they're going to think is surrounding them. Even if it actually doesn't, even if the, the chances of them having their life in danger is relatively low. Right. And, and so, you know, look. I think I'm I'm a, I'm a firm believer in in technology. I'm 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 a believer in the ideas behind, you know, ex- like having more people being able to access more information. I think that that's a, a bedrock to advancing civilization and society. But I also think that it it presents a danger, and the danger is. If you're only re- if you're only reporting the negative news, if you're only reporting the threatening news, you're going to create a society that lives in fear of the world that surrounds it in an irrational manner. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think to some degree, the rules that we know in journalism um, 
they extend back to an era where because of scarcity of space, um, the idea of running news stories that were mundane in, you know, by nature, Frank, or, or, were were you know, positive in nature, um, you couldn't do that because there just wasn't, there wasn't the space to devote to those sorts of things. And you worried that if you didn't consistently get stimuli, you were going to lose advertisers and then that was going to create problems. But I think it's funny because both of our backgrounds are in sports. And if you think about sports, sports gets criticized because what, 85, 80, 85% of what gets covered is generally positivist and is generally, you know, and so, and, and in sports, um, people don't have a problem with that. Like, right. yeah, you know, the, you know, the, the, the Orioles beat the twins in a, in a, a, a game in the middle of the baseball season. I mean, that's a mundane result. Like right. nobody should really care about that yet. We still report it there. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, I do think that, I think that to some degree we have to have a, a reevaluation of how we cover these things. And I know it seems weird for me to even be, be talking along these lines, but if we don't, I think we're just going to end up in this, this self-fulfilling prophecy to some degree where we keep filling social media spaces and television spaces with negative news. And then people react to that negative news in a negative manner. And then we sit right. around asking ourselves, why does everybody feel this way? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, you know, to tie the thread together, Trump's candidacy is like the ultimate realization of a scary world phenomenon, isn't yes. it? Yep, it is. Well, and, and, and the Democrats, if you know, the ironic thing—maybe not ironic—because the Democrats have engaged in this as well in past elections, but they're going to have to engage in the same sort of thing mm-hmm. because they're going to have to demonstrate that they feel like their clear and present dangers are more important than Donald Trump's clear and present dangers, and yes. then impress that upon the rest of the of the country. Because at the end of the day, people. You know, should they be concerned that Trump is is uh, unfit to be president or is unqualified? Of course they should. But mm-hmm. they're going to vote on what they feel is in their best individual interest, and that's going to be ruled by what they feel is threatening them the most. And, right. you know, that's that's take the intellectual side out of it because people don't vote intellectually. Well, Most people don't. Yeah, and that's the pro- – you know, I it, it's weird that, that when I say the problem with fact-checking because I love – that news organizations are doing that in real time in, 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 in the way that you see news organizations doing fact-checking of elections now. That's critical. That's important. But I always wonder, like, I don't think people care. Like we said before, I don't think that matters to people because people vote on emotion more than reason. And you can't argue that I, there, this might have been a This American Life or a, a Radio Lab or one of those uh, nerd podcasts I listen to. But it, it can't be you can't argue facts against emotion. You can't argue like Trump has lied these 18 times in a row, but it's still scary. There's an interesting piece I saw linked to on Twitter, uh, again, New York Times. But um, I ran I out put, of my complimentary month's worth of articles. Sorry, see, go th- ahead. <laughs> this is why you have to have them. If you if you have your students read it, you get a com- the complimentary faculty subscription. Or, or- or Look, I could I'm just, not tenured. Or, or, this is what I have. Or this I is, could just open it in multiple browsers, right? That's, that's why I have <laughs> Firefox and Chrome and, and IE on my computer. So You're the one using IE. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> hey, I just never bothered to uninstall it. So, <laughs> um, But it, it is um, basically the idea of, of, of for Trump, it's the, he called it the gray swan phenomenon, where like it's not the, the like necessarily bad thing happens, like a big 
economic collapse, a big terrorist attack, something like that. It's these kind of gray threats, these like vague, something's happening somewhere and it's not right and it's a threat to me. And like that's what Trump's capitalizing on. And that, that that's kind of the, the strong, you know, kind of part of his um, allure is that's kind of what he's appealing to, that there's something out there. There's like this strange, weird boogeyman out there that's coming to get you. And I'm going to stand in the way of you, uh, of it for you, or I'm going I can protect you from it or something like that. Um, so you know, getting into, you're, you're, you're talking about sports, uh, media, uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, do, you like, do you like that little segue I tried to throw dude, in there? Dude, you're getting good at this. Um, it's like you used to be in radio or something. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, so this is one of the questions that, again, if you, uh, hit us up at Flipside Pod. Uh, on Facebook or Twitter, we will give you and give us any topic. We will talk about it for at least one minute. And we have two topics this week coming from Facebook. The first one coming from friend of the show, Matt Zimmerman. And uh, he's con- he's posting this, I think, because he saw my he was taking part in my Twitter rant about this yesterday. Um, so he's interested in these views. And I'm reading Matt's post verbatim. Pennsylvania escapee and Pulitzer winner Sarah Ganim statements at a journalism event that at first sounded like a photon torpedo across the bow of sports journalism itself, all capitalized, but were later, parenthetically, sort of walked back either by Ganim or by the original individual who had tweeted about them. If you are not in sports media nerd circles, this is what happened. Uh, there was a journalism conference uh, yes, uh, over the weekend, and Sarah Ganim, the Pulitzer Prize winner who broke the, who now works at CNN, broke the Jerry Sandusky story working for the uh, uh, Patriot News in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and now Penn Live. And uh, she, the, uh, the, the tweet that kind of got everyone going, this is at the Mayborn, which is a journalism festival. This is from uh, ben Baby, who covers college, who's a college beat writer. Uh, Sarah, this is the exact tweet, tweet, quote, Sarah Ganim on sports writers. Must be nice to get fed and have a sheet of paper telling you what's going on every five minutes. Uh, following tweets, Sarah Ganim continued, I think a lot of sports reporters are fans that became reporters. Sarah Ganim continued and paraphrased, sports reporters don't know how to go to the court, go to courthouse and get documents. Um, the walk back on that, or the context, the walk back, contextual walk back on that was, at least part of that, I believe the courthouse document, she was referring specifically to the people on the Penn State beat. The one she was covering and trying to unveil the Sandusky story. I went off on this on Twitter. I can revise and amend my remarks after I hear yours. No, oh, you're making me go first, don't Yes. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, with the preface that I wasn't at the conference and my only understanding of, of what was said was through both Ben Baby's tweets and then your tweets uh, after the fact. Um, look, I don't think there's any question that if you're looking for hard news reporting on things that are newsworthy, I'm trying to pick my words carefully. I know here, exactly what you're saying. Yeah, um, you're you're probably going to be disappointed by the way that sports journalism is set up. I, I think that Sarah Ganim, um, even if she was just going after Penn State reporters, uh, is being insanely disingenuous with these comments. And I'll say that for the following reason. Um, you know, the the economic realities of any beat are based around this idea that you're covering, uh, particularly a 
particularly a program like Penn State, and particularly a program with a with a figure like Joe Paterno, you're set up there um, to act as a conduit so that the university's athletic department can reach their fans. The fans can read your coverage. You can make money off advertising. They can make money off advertising. You have the ability to do um, good journalism, but you you better be damn certain that you know what you're doing because you put your own livelihood and your paper's livelihood uh, or your television station's livelihood at significant risk if you aren't completely backed up with, like, incontrovertible facts. And even right. then, maybe not even that. Right. Um, you know, I, I, was Ganim, was she, she was she a sports reporter? No, she was a cops reporter. She was a cops reporter. And then, how did, I, how I did think, she and how did she break this story? If my recollection served, the DA fed her documents yes. on it. I don't so, know how she got documents, but it was an unreported. It was she was the first one to report on the indictment of Sandusky. I mean, the first we heard of the indictment of Sandusky, it was a rumor that Mark Madden who's a, a sports talk show host, I think his name's Mark Madden, in Pittsburgh, he mentioned something like a month before that he was like, there's going to be some crazy news coming out of State College regarding some really, really wicked stuff. I forget, I don't remember what the exact verbatim quote was. But um, but this was something that had been percolating under the surface, but there was no, there was nothing to, there was, there, there were no documents to get at the damn courthouse about right. this stuff. There, there was, there, there was, there, you know, so, you know, look, are, are there sports reporters that aren't particularly well-trained in, in, in the, the hard developmental news aspect of things of going to the courthouse and getting things? Sure. There are, yes. there are, there are many that are not, are there, um, are there news reporters that are not particularly well trained yes. in that? Yes, there are. Yep. And you know the the allegation about sports reporters being somehow like specifically susceptible to like being fans. I think that was like one of yep. the comments that she yeah. made. I think these were fans. I hate and I I hate that. It's like does like what what is the motivation for the average journalism student i mean what what gets people into political writing do they hate right. politics but they just decide to write about this because it's some, no that's not right. the way that it works i mean right. you you're going to be you're going to have your career path even in journalism dictated at least to some degree by the things you're interested in writing about right. which to me is an it was an it just the, the whole thing just smacked of poorly thought out comments and I mean, there were there are glimmers of truth in some of the yes, things that she's yes. saying there obviously could be better reporters better reporting better tactics taken but on the whole i, I just thought it was very unfair yes okay so in the interest of fairness before i kind of get to my remarks on this i have the original story like the breaking story i'll read the first two graphs just for context's sake. Penn State football legend Jerry Sandusky is the subject of a grand jury investigation into allegations that he indecently assaulted a teenage boy. According to five people with knowledge of the case, a grand jury meeting in Harrisburg has been hearing testimony for at least 18 months about the allegation, which was made in 2009 by a 15-year-old from Clinton County. The teen told authorities that Sandusky, yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. So, that's, so I don't know what the sourcing on that is, but that's, this is the kind of original story on it. Sure. Um, so take that. So take so take that as it will. My issue with with it, um, as a, a former sports reporter, like this does hit close to home. Um, and I, as I think I've said on Twitter, and I know I've blogged about this many times, like I I, I have no time for the city side 
haughty real journalism looking down their nose at sports journalism like I t- i've told the story i've had i was at a conference where i had my uh i was talking to at a poster session and for non-academics you put your you're at you you do a poster of your paper with like your findings and stuff and people come by and you're talking to them about it and i was talking to a professor and he asked me what i was going to do my dissertation on and i said i was going to study sports journalism and the derision that he looked at me with was just palpable and it was basically why would you waste your time studying something worthless like sports when you sure. could study the news side and that 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 you know as a former sports reporter that's always bothered me my problem with with, with the comments and you know and even if she walked it back and was only talking about penn state well that's still a pretty broad generalization about a very large group of football writers and i get that you know there is there 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 you're trying to penetrate and break that story in that beat you must have faced she must have faced blowback from 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 people and i get sure sure i i I, i'll I'll take that all as right my problem with that and as i said in my tweet storm was it's just lazy like your criticism of sports journalism is they're fans who get fed and get handed things every five minutes well for one thing i guarantee you every every uh reporter at these conventions this past two weeks is a getting fed and b getting the speeches well in advance so you can write your stories ahead of time so let's not talk about that but also like i don't know it feels like you know we talk about this there are real problems and issues that we can talk about in sports journalism and we get like like the divert the lack of diversity the you know the the, the kind of focusing on Minutia, the overall kind of yay sports mentality that you know overlooks kind of serious top serious topics. The fact that Michael Jordan gave you know a million dollars to a pro police and a pro and and the NCAA NAACP today and was being lauded for taking a stand. Um, <laughs> it just you know it, it, you know and that and that's a very you know kind of sports journalism centric point of view there are real points of view there there's real discussion we can have about you know sports journalism's place in journalism as a whole in 2016 and to kind of fall back on the way you get fed and get told what happens all the time it just you know be better than that like we can have a real discussion on that but that's just lazy on your part to kind of to kind of blast us like that. So uh, that, that 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 was my you know I I, I I you can see my tweet storm about it. Um, and look, and uh, I mean you know I mean look she you know I mean Sarah's gone on and has reported on the scandal at UNC Chapel Hill. You know I mean I I, I get I, I no dis absolutely um, nothing against her as a reporter. Ten thousand right. times the reporter I ever was. Well, I mean, I, I think you're selling yourself a little bit short there, but I mean, the uh, part of part of the issue I have is if you understand, th- th- this is the same sort of issue I have. Like the, the things that sports reporters get criticized for, political reporters skate on in yeah. in, in many ways. But politics is considered important. Sports is considered unimportant, even though right. sports, by and large to the average person's daily life is a lot more important than right. than what they're observing in politics. Uh, you know, and I would even go so far as to say that the, the supposedly life and death stuff that happens in politics, a lot of it is just moving pieces around a chessboard rather than like, uh, you know, there's some major thing, there's a lot of major things that happen, but there's a lot of things that get reported on in politics on a regular basis that frankly aren't that, they're not that death-defying in right. terms of things. You know, I mean, it's it's all it always falls back to this idea that sports reporting is is 
just insignificant in the big scheme right. of things. And I don't know. I mean, it's it's certainly it's certainly in a unique position because we demand things of our sports reporters that we don't demand of our entertainment reporters. We right. don't demand, you know, and it, like, and yet, and yet, sports is treated on the same level as entertainment. I've always right. wondered why that dichotomy exists. Right, and I always get mad at political reporters who talk about, you know, or people who talk about real journalism versus sports journalism and like the coziness that sports journalism have with players and coaches and all that. And like, did you notice how reporting at the New York times and the Washington post led us into a war in the past 10 years? So, um, all right, we have probably time for our last topic and, um, we've dealt with a lot of serious stuff, but we we saved the most important one for last, I think, because this is really the issue that uh, we need to address. And this is from my sister, Amy Moritz. Which city has the best cast for the Real Housewives on Bravo? I mean, <laughs> I I have never seen this show. I have. I, I, I've, I've only never, never, one, I've never, I've never even seen a preview for this show. I know it exists because Tom Crean used to tweet about the Real Housewives of New Jersey. Did but really? yeah, that was. <laughs> Yeah. No, no wonder you and Zimmerman hate the guy. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't hate him. I don't hate him. All right. So the choices we have are Orange County, New York City, Atlanta, New Jersey, D.C., Beverly Hills, Miami of Potomac. I don't know how that's different than D.C., but sure. And of Dallas. Well, I mean, if I were just going to go off of what I know about people that live in those areas, I'd... I would disqualify Miami because that just doesn't, I mean, I've lived in Miami. Um, everybody's a real housewife in Miami. Sure. Uh, from my experience, having lived down yes. there, it's a, it's an, it's almost like it's such a dramatic place that everything becomes like less dramatic just because everything, the bar for drama is raised so high. Right. Um, beyond that, I don't know. I'm way out of my depth here. I, I I'm going to go with Atlanta cause I feel like I've heard about Atlanta. This show, The Real Housewives of Atlanta, more than I have the others. And I'm basing it solely on that. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go Atlanta on that um, for no tangible reason. Uh, I'll say this. Do you have a reality show that you think you would be best at? A reality show that I'd be best at? God. Um, you know. Or would like to do. Or would like to do. No, I don't. I, I, I I'll be honest. I've, right. I've I've never gotten huge into reality television. I I have. It's interesting. So I listen to a couple of different podcasts now. I listen to Katie Nolan's podcast, and I listen okay. to um, the some of the Ringer podcasts. And okay. I loved. I'm 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 in love with Juliet Littman on the Ringer pod, and and the one that she does called Bachelorette Party. Between that and the weekly breakdowns on Katie Nolan's podcast about The Bachelorette, I've, I've never seen an episode of The Bachelorette. I've never even seen like a preview of it from this year. But okay. I feel like I, I've, I've gotten every detail of that show for the entire season, basically, from those two podcasts. And in listening to it, I think if I lost like 40 or 50 pounds and had a different haircut, I might have a shot at making like the top six. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I'm looking over at the Wikipedia list of uh, reality shows. It's like you, I don't watch them. Like I, we used, back in the day when it was actually something you would watch. I watched American Idol. Um, we watched American Idol together. Um, 
but I can't sing, so that wouldn't work. Um, I think of all of them, like like the Bachelor, the Bachelor, whatever one has the guys as the as, as the prey. I, I'd be terrible at that. That'd be, be the bad. That was the Bachelorette. Yes. Bachelor, I'd be. Oh, I'd be. I I, 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 they wouldn't even open the car door for me. They'd just drive back <laughs> to a different house. I'd have to think it'd be one of the cooking ones I could do, like top. Sh- now I'm not top chef, but like chopped. I, Chopped, maybe, yeah. Like I'm not good. Like, like that's the only one where my skills are enough passable that I feel like I wouldn't be a complete and total embarrassment to my family's name. My, uh, my sister. You, know, you would actually do well on the cooking shows. I think I we probably episodes. So you do, you do pretty well on Chopped. I think. Well, the problem is, like, I've never seen a show, one of those cooking shows, where they didn't ex- like extensively use mushrooms, and I have like a deathly allerg- allergy to mushrooms, oh. and so. I, I think that that would eventually derail me. Um, my my sister always claimed that I, I should that I would be really good on road rules, uh, like back at, back in the late nineties. Yeah, and I guess so. I, I, I if there's one I would want to do, I don't think I'd be good at it. I'd probably flame up, but I would like to do Amazing Race, the one where you got to travel like around the world and like right. it's a worldwide thing. I think that would be the, that's got to be the most fun. Uh, uh, of them all because like so many of them are basically predicated on like being put in the same space as all these different you know you know very strong aggressive aggressive personalities and yes we all know how edited they are and they like take one you know 10 second in- exchange between somebody and turn it into like a three episode arc um so it's very high but but i but i feel like the uh the amazing race would would have to be kind of like the most fun um, because of the travel aspect, because of kind of like the the problem solving involved, I've never watched it, but it just it seems like it would be the most fun of all of them for me. Yeah, no, you're probably right. Um, I, think we sh- I think we should make a push. You and me do. We get picked for the Amazing Race. Is that still run? I, I think so. Let's I mean, see. God, that's. I mean, some. Of the, I will say the staying power of some of these reality shows has been really remarkable. It, um, well, I mean, I mean, I, I a friend of mine at grad school used to work, you know, tangentially on re- uh, on them. And like he he told me that he was telling us the economics of it one day. Like once they air a pilot and have the commercial buys for the pilot, they've paid like they're making profit. Like that's how cheap they are to produce. Um, yes, uh, the Amazing Race has now had twenty eight seasons. Of course, they have like weird like split seasons. Yeah, they do like three. Yeah, they like do three. Or they've done three hundred and thirty episodes. Um, but the 29th season is scheduled to uh, premiere in the middle of the 2016-2017 season. So yeah, we we I I, I think that would be a week. You know, our weekly think, podcast live from the Amazing Race. They wouldn't mind that, would they? I'm sure that they'd love it. <laughs> I think I think I would be really good on Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares too. Uh, that, like like I could see myself shining on that one. Just like see- like just like be the like the recalcitrant owner of like a a, 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 a like a. An Italian restaurant that only served like beet soup or something like that, you know. I mean, just 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 something off the wall. I have to say, one of the and and this is not ironic. We watch um, the Gordon Ramsay, the uh, not uh, what's the the kids one that he does. He does he oh, does yeah. uh, Top Chef Junior. Is it top? Not Top Chef. Um, I know what you're talking about. The, but... the Junior one that's actually really good because you know. Gordon Ramsay plays up his Gordon Ramsay shtick on the with the grown-ups. Well, with the kids, he's actually super happy, like super supportive, and the kids are the kids are all really. It's a really fun show to watch. Like it's it's not the usual Gordon Ramsay. 
he's screaming at everybody for 45 minutes. Like, it's actually, when he actually sits down with the kids, he's actually really good with them. Yeah. Um, I would actually probably cook better than probably half those kids. I could probably do pretty well on that one. Well, we would I, I, I think I, I think you'd be fine. Um, I, I do, I do, I am a little upset. I missed out on my chance at uh, at Dream Job when it was on back in the oh, day. Oh, that's right. But uh, that one, it was it was a great idea that you know, like all of ESPN's great ideas, they drove right into the ground after right. a, one after the first season. So right. Right. Anyway. Well, um, I think we've covered everything. Any, I think so. Any final thoughts from you? No, I think we are good. Again, uh, show notes with uh, the Our Lady Peace album, all, a list of all of the – a list of uh, reality TV shows from Wikipedia and other stuff we've talked about today. Uh, and, 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 and you're going to include a, a full list of all of my political contributions in there as well, right? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's at uh, com. Click on the flip side tab, and it is episode season two, episode 10. All right. Well, folks, we, uh, we enjoyed it as always. And Brian, a pleasure as always. As always. But uh, yep. we will catch you folks on the flip side. So long. See ya.